Druids and cars go into festivals. They can chat about things. It's a druid podcast in cars. Sometimes the best parts of festivals are the discussions that surround them, reflections on what we did and heard, anticipation of what's to come, and processing what it all means in relation to our spiritual work. We wanted to help either introduce you to that phenomenon or extend it for you. That's what this is about. I'm Reverend Jana Vende. And I'm Reverend Michael J. Dangler. We're priests of Arnriach Fane and members of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. We're recording these sessions actually live in cars, actually going to festivals and events, so you will hear road noise, turn signals, and navigation prompts. But that's part of what makes it fun. So... Sit back and enjoy Druids in Cars going to festivals. So I'm here with Kathleen, and she has slightly more experience than me raising kids and being pagan. (laughs) So we wanted to talk a little bit about that. And I think your household is way more multi-faith than mine. Yes. Um, So, like, what is that? How did you come to that decision to kind of half and half it? Uh, well, my husband is not pagan and doesn't want to be pagan, and he doesn't really want to be religious at all, so (laughs) he's actually not atheist, he's an agnostic, but he has real hang-ups about just organized religion in general as a result of spending 12 years going through Catholic school, (laughs) so he doesn't really want to participate in anything religious because of his forced participation in religious stuff you know, when he was younger. Uh, However, he also recognizes on some level that religion is helpful to people. And so he doesn't object to the children being involved in religious stuff. He just doesn't want to be involved in it, which curtails some of our flexibility in terms of what we can do and what we can't do. Right. Would you say that you're raising them pagan or you're, like, is it intentionally or is it like, this is one option of many and you're exposing them to a lot, or... It's more like, this is what I'm going to do, and, you know, why don't you come along with me and we'll go do this thing, and, you know, if you like it, you like it, and if you don't, you don't, but for right now, this is what you're going to do. And it's not like she doesn't know, actually, both of them, it's not like they don't know that um, other religions exist, because my fa- both of our families are very, very, very devout Catholic. So, you know, when we're down with my family or we're over with my husband's family, we, they've been to church. I mean, they've gone to church with us as part of, um, you know, doing family activities. My, my mother is very, very... Her dream was to have her grandchildren dressed up in frilly special clothes on Easter and go to church with her. And so every year we make that dream come true because I really have no stake in it. And it's important to her. So, you know, sure, I will put them in frilly clothes and take them to church and it'll be great. And I mean, my kids know like who Jesus is, but like they don't like understand the whole concept of Christianity in terms of worshiping Jesus per se. They just kind of like, yeah, we go down to grandma's and we get dressed up in nice clothes and go to this place that's kind of boring, but has okay music. And, and, and then we go home and eat lots of food. And that's pretty much their concept of Christianity. I'm not sure that that's much different than like my concept of Christianity growing up. I mean, I wasn't raised super religious, but we were definitely Christmas Easter. Yeah. Um, 
Christians, and so there was not a lot of, like, I knew that we went, and... We called those creasters. There was a building, and, like, they talked for a while, and I a lot of times read a book on the floor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the biggest area where being a multi-faith household gets difficult is, like, for example, with the hearth keepers thing. There's no way that it would be okay for us to do something religious over dinner where, you know, my husband was effectively forced to participate. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So so that would be something where if I was engaged in that kind of work, I would have to come up with some sort of an alternative or a workaround because that just wouldn't fly. Right. And then same thing with, well, as part of the clergy stuff, you know, we have those retreat days and we have to do the meal prayers. And so, like, it's not a whole, everybody at the table sits right. down it's and a, does a meal. Right, it's a you doing a meal exactly. prayer. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So that that's the biggest thing. Like, one of the things that I find is that you have to figure out where the boundary is with the other person, and then you have to respect that boundary. So the boundary with my husband is I can do any religious stuff I want to do anywhere in the house, anytime I want to do it. He just is not involved in it. So, you know, when it becomes an issue of having to do things like meal-based stuff, we have to kind of work around how that's going to happen. Right. Would he be okay if, like, you blessed the food prior, like, while you were cooking it, and then it happened to be blessed food that came out? Yeah, he, do he doesn't care about okay. that kind of stuff. Okay. I mean, so, because the thing is, like, he's agnostic, but the, that whole woo factor means nothing <laughs> to <means> him. <laughs> so, so, like, he acknowledges that there might be, like, some sort of, like, higher force in the universe and stuff, but the, the idea that, like, the food being blessed is different than the non-blessed food Right, is, or, like, doing, like, protection magic around your house or something, like... Again, like, it means nothing to him. Like, that's not part of his world concept, okay. and therefore the fact that I do it... Yeah, like, so, it like, makes, that's not a boundary crossing. No, kind of like, if it, makes, if it makes you happy, I don't care, because I don't... It's like when people tell us we're going to hell, and we're like, yeah, okay, we don't <laughs> that, care, because hell, hell's not a thing for us. <laughs> for him, like, blessing the house, okay, fine, you want to bless the house, bless the house. I don't care. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, do you find that as your kids have gotten older, have they had more questions about things? or? So my littlest one that doesn't really have a concept of what religion is in the, greatest, in the greater scheme of things. My older one does. And it's funny because... So, you know, she's done comparative religion in school and stuff. <laughs> and she she comes home and she starts talking about these sorts of things. And, I'm, and, and like, you know, there, there, are, there are Christians and there are Jews. And, and she gets down to the, and, like, she gets down to, like, the non, like, big five categories right. of stuff. And, and, and there are pagans out there. I was like, yeah, Paige, you're a pagan. <gasps> I'm a pagan? <laughs> so, like, you know, when I was raising her, I wasn't be I wasn't giving her the, like, okay, the you, terms for stuff. you are a pagan, so if anybody asks you what your religion is, you tell them you're pagan. I didn't do that. I just kind of, like, we just did our thing. And, and so, like... And so she just, like, knows what you do at home. Yeah, yeah, she knows what we do at home. And, and you know, she, she, has, she has a little shrine set up in her room and stuff like that for various things like obviously my father passed away recently so she's got a shrine set up in her room for that and you know the dog also passed away recently so there's a shrine set up in her room for that and so she has all these little pagan practices that she does but like we never really talked about it in the comparative religion sort of way like right. this is how we're different than everybody else the only thing I did was I was very careful with her in terms of when she was very little making sure that like when we did stuff that was pagan 
we, I couched it for her in terms that if she went to school and started talking about it, it wouldn't cause problems for right. her. Right. Is that kind of where, like, the birthday party for the for the gods came from? Yes. Yes. And the phone call and, and, and all that. Yeah. So it's, like, just ways of putting it together so that she wouldn't necessarily say things at school that would cause her to be ostracized. Because I was, I was very concerned about that when she was little. Like, she's old enough now that she can kind of... Hold her own. Hold her own. <laughs> um, and I'm not worried about it. And my little one is not quite in the point where he would... If he did start talking about it, people would be like, Oh, okay, sure, yeah, all right. Because <laughs> he's so young that they'd be like, I don't know, maybe he made it up. Yeah. Um, but now she can hold her own, and I don't worry about that. The, like We had a thing with the Girl Scouts where when she was in um, Daisy's, I had a talk with the Scout leaders because there's the Girl Scout oath. You know, okay, yeah. Where you got the whole, like, you know, pledging to God, swearing to God, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, well, our kids are in Scouts now, and they're in Boy Scouts since they let girls in now. Yeah. And um, and the same thing. Like, they've got the Scout Oath where it's got the, I pledge to, like, God and country, country or something. something like that. Yeah, and so I had a talk with them, and they were like, well, the Girl Scouts allow you to change the oath if it doesn't match your religious background. And I was like, okay, so let's do that thing. Yeah. And so she just learned a slightly different Girl Scout oath, and they, it's not like they were sitting there, like, reciting the oath every day and stuff, so it right. didn't become a big deal for the fact that she had a different oath than everybody else Right. Had. Do you, um, so your son is deaf. Yes. Has he started, like, does he have signs for... Um, like concepts that don't exist elsewhere? Like, does he have kindred signs that have come up or anything? So... Or have you worked so, with so, that? Or? So, this is, so this is a perennial discussion between me and various people who have some knowledge of sign language who in ADF. And so are there signs for the same words in English? There are. Do they have the same meaning as we would have for those signs? No. So what happens with sign language is sign language is a conceptual language, which means the sign is tied to what the meaning is. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, there's a sign for God, but when we say God, we're not talking about the same thing that most people who sign God mean. (laughs) So then the question becomes, is that the right sign for it? Because it's not really the same meaning. So, like, ideally, we would come up with a set of homegrown signs that Mm -hmm. would be... Yeah, and I didn't know if he was at the point yet where that was... Not really. Like, we're still working on names and stuff. Okay. You know, he's at the point where, um, like, he has an imaginary dog that follows him around. And and the dog didn't have a name, and then the dog was named Dog, and now the dog is named Spot. And, like, so, like, that's the progression we've gotten to, but, like, we haven't gotten to the point where he has kind of... Conceptualized it enough to have, like... Homegrown signs for things. Yeah, so I mean, like, and sometimes my husband and I will make up homegrown signs, but ideally he's the one who has to make up the homegrown signs because that gets into a whole... Like, deaf culture. Deaf culture, disability rights thing, where, like, as a hearing person, we really shouldn't be making up the signs. It should be people who are deaf making up the signs. And so... We'll just kind of wait and see how that. Yeah, plays that's out. why I wasn't sure if he had if he was at the point yet where he was. No, like, like making like them. we have signs for like uh, nature spirits and stuff, and there's there are a couple of signs uh, songs that we use in our, right. our rituals that I have managed to cobble together. Put, kind well, of. translate over into sign language in a way that maintains the same basic idea okay. that the song covers, but. Um, 
Uh, one of my dreams in life is to actually put together an entire ritual in ASL for the two of us to do. Yeah. Uh, but as with many of my dreams, uh, they don't always come to fruition <laughs> on the timeline I originally intend because there's just a lot of stuff going on. Also, there's children, and that tends to yeah. put a damper on your productivity. Yeah, they do. And, 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 and he's got a cold right now, and that just makes it harder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he's, he, he's getting more communicative at this point in time so I would say that that's probably on its way it's just not here yet okay I think that'll be really interesting to like hear about as it develops well and we work with some folks from he goes to a school for the deaf and so we work with some of the folks there in terms of with the sign language stuff and one of these days when I have a lot of free time I will probably like sit down with one of them because some of them are um, either deaf or hard of hearing from mm -hmm. birth or a very young age at least and uh, the, I, eventually I'm going to pick their brain on that kind of stuff because yeah, I have experts and I might and, as well make use of them. Right? <laughs> I'm not an expert. I'm a transplant. Yes. Into the deaf culture world. Yeah. Um, have you found that having a pagan family in a larger overculture of Christian culture, like you touched on you didn't want your daughter to... Um, feel like ostracized. Mm -hmm. Have you had any larger issues with pagan pagan kids, pagan families in communities? So, not a, okay. So not a lot, mostly because we don't have a lot of interaction with other <coughs> pagan families in the community. Mostly, the pagan families that they interact with are pagan families that are in ADF. Um, so that's not saying they never meet kids from other pagan milieus, but it's not very common to the point where they've actually formed any kind of a bond with right. them. Um, in terms of the overculture, I don't... I consider being pagan, like, you know, just, like, one of those things that I am, so I don't, like, necessarily walk up to people and be like, hey, right. hey, right. I'm pagan. <laughs> and especially with my job, I have to maintain a certain level of separation between my public and my private right. life because, you know, I am a quasi-public official, and therefore my my life... Public life is analyzed or Yeah, it, analyzed. more scrutinized if, if somebody would want to go there then I would perhaps want... So, uh, partly I just don't talk about it a lot. Um, which is not to say that we haven't run into problems. Like, even this festival, I, I this is our first year in a new place. And we're at Harvest Nights right yes. now. Yes. Yeah, we're in Harvest Nights. And so this is our first year in a new place. Part of the reason why we ended up moving is because I really do feel like the people who ran the last campground we were working at were uncomfortable with us being there. Like, in the eight years that we were there, it just got harder and harder and harder and harder to do things there. And I think partly it was that they were coming up with reasons to make it a little bit more difficult. And I'm not saying that everybody there felt that way. And I'm not saying that it may, it may not have even been completely intentional on their right, part. I right. just think that we were making some of them feel a little bit uncomfortable, and that is what it is. 
you know, Druidry is hard in this part of the country because we're so close to Salem, Massachusetts, that, like, witchcraft is the thing. <laughs> Everybody is witches and Wicca and all that sort of stuff. So, like, when we go to Pagan Pride Day, it's just a lot, a lot of folks that are involved in either witchcraft or Wicca. And they all go on their pilgrimages to Salem in October and don't ever go to Salem in October because... <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we do run into that a lot okay. where we're dealing with a lot of folks that are very, very invested in more of the Wicca side of the street. And so you get it kind of from both directions, like not talking about it to overculture, mainstream religions. And well, then and I'm not exactly sure why, but ADF also doesn't have a particularly good reputation in this area. They, they all think we're a bunch of elitist snobs. Okay. So... Uh, and I don't know where that came right. from because that predates my participation in it. That was something that was here even when like I started. When you joined, yeah. yeah, when I started. So that's another thing. There's a perceptual thing that, and from within the pagan community, yeah, within yeah. It, that we're all a bunch of, you know. I mean, we're a little bit weird, but well, you know, it's all about what kind of weirdness you wanna <laughs> you wanna get involved in. Yeah, um, but. It, we kind of, we chug along, you know. <laughs> we're small. We, we we joke around in Charter Oak that we're small but mighty because we are small. I mean, we're not a big grove. Our our maximum membership was like probably ten people who were ADF members and members of Charter Oak, but we average about six. Okay. Um, and then we have like people who are sort of like satellite members who come and go as they want to. Right. But like the core group is usually somewhere between four and eight, depending on the time of the depending on the cycle of you know people joining and leaving and things like that it, it averages out right yeah. around there yeah. yeah and so I mean we're not big but you know we we do the best we can yeah do you have um, a lot of kids in your grove or did you kind of start with so, children's programming because you've got kids a little bit of both um when we first started Charter Oak Grove it was my daughter and someone else's son and we did it in part as something to like kind of keep them busy I'll be honest <laughs> <laughs> because you know they were they and they were very young at that age my like my daughter was maybe four okay. at that point um and so partly it was just to keep them busy and it also we also took advantage of my husband's lack of desire to participate so what we would do is we would run we, I would run the children's ritual before the main ritual, and then my husband would take the kids, and, you know, he'd be, like, off a little ways, you know, where... I mean, he was still, like, visibly in the range of what right. was going on, but he was off to one side with them, and they would do, like, arts and crafts projects and stuff okay. while the main rite was going on. Yeah. Um, and then eventually we ended up with a few more kids... And then at one point in time, we had like six or seven of them. And then, you know, people cycle out and stuff. Three of them were in one family, and that family kind of moved on to whatever their next thing was. And right now we have four kids in the Grove, which, you know, considering how many adults we have, right, it's it, pretty it, good. It, it is a pretty high kid to non-kid ratio. Um, and 
so we do the programming partly it's it's to kind of keep them busy but also partly it's it's to take what happens in ritual and bring it down to a level that they can understand like my daughter by the time she was about six years old after going through all those children's rituals i mean she had first of all she had the core order of ritual pretty much down <laughs> and we, which some adults can't right. say and uh she like she understood the basic concepts behind the ritual even if like the whole concept of religion in and of itself was something that that eluded her like she she like she understood that like when you open the gates that's how you talk to the kindreds and stuff and and she's not really overt in her spirituality at this particular moment in time partly probably due to her age right but um she she still has elements of that like she occasionally we'll have stuff going on in the grove and she'll just happen to be there and we'll be like hey we need a part and the really funny thing is the first time we did that to her we're like hey Paige why don't you come over here and do a part with us and she comes over there and she sings the song that we do in the children's ritual for that part I was like oh check the box she knows it yeah check the box we'll go with that um and and so she can sub in on stuff like that if she's feeling like she wants to. But right. I don't really I don't push her I don't force her involvement. So it's like her like when she chooses to be involved is when it happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because I, I look at what happened to my husband and how he feels about the whole thing, and I don't really want to recreate that cycle. Right. So it, you know, participation is voluntary, and eventually she's going to make a decision for herself what she wants to do. Like my commitment was to expose both of them to the religion, to a religion, and then they'll decide what they're going to decide. And if they decide what I decided, great. If they decide something else, that's fine, too. Like, I don't really have a huge stake in what they decide. Right, but you wanted them to have some exposure. Yeah. A a place to make that decision from. Yeah, and... uh, and, I, and it's funny because I find that as she gets older and she starts coming home and talking about things that have happened in school, what her take on them is different because of some of the ideas that we espouse in our religious work. Like, you know, the idea of more plurality and stuff like that versus the more strict monotheistic view of stuff. Right has had an impact on how she interprets things and the degree to which she is, like, rigidly, you know, endorsing... Willing to consider other options. Yeah, she's more... Like, when we talk about things like religion and politics and stuff like that, she's much more willing to take uh, a, a more multifaceted view of stuff because she hasn't been in a situation where, like, the rule is the rule is the rule is the rule is the rule. Yeah, that's interesting, because kids a lot of times fall into the, like, everything has its box and things must go in their boxes. When they're young, yeah, but as they start to get older, like, like, and she's starting to transition now. Into that. Into that. Yeah, out of the, like, everything has to go into its box, into the more, like, well... Maybe everything doesn't have to go into its box, and like, what does the box look like? Right. And why did we put it in the box? <laughs> and and so and, and that's good because that's really what I I, I want for her. Yeah. And I mean, if she never actually follows through in terms of the spiritual side of things, that's okay because I feel like you know, in the end, having that sort of more open mindset where there isn't one answer to things has its own benefits. Yeah. And you know, there isn't one go-to for everything either. You know, there isn't one 
god or spirit that we go to for stuff. We've got all kinds of gods and spirits that we go to for yeah. stuff. And well, like, and those what are if, lessons that carry over very well. Yeah, yeah, and and so it's just it's different. It's funny as I watch her grow up because she grow, she's growing up in a much more different mindset than I grew up mm -hmm. in. And so where I sometimes get stuck in my thinking with that kind of stuff, uh, she doesn't necessarily always have that problem because that wasn't <laughs> something that she that's not one of her hangups. Yeah, yeah. She'll have different hang-ups. All right. Good. Anything else? No. Yeah. Cool. We're just hanging at Harvest Nights. Yeah. In the kitchen. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and there's more to come. We welcome your ideas and questions. If there's something that you'd like to hear us discuss in a future episode, please drop us a line at druidsincars at threecranes.org. If you would like to donate, you can do so at threecranes.org slash donate. Druids and Cars Going to Festivals is a production of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. Learn more about our grove at threecranes.org and more about druidry at adf.org. As always, keep circulating the tapes and let us pray with a good fire.